Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs and our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, today, my guests are Mary and Margot. They're members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, and they'll be sharing their story of recovery from food addiction. So welcome to the Living Free Show today. Hi. Hi. Mary's joining us from Sydney today, and I'm also delighted to say that Margot is our first international guest, and she's calling in from California, USA. So, Mary, we usually start by talking about growing up. So what was life like for you growing up? Okay, um, so I was born into, I guess, a pretty much uh, looked like on the outer side, very, very much an intact family. I and still have um, two parents. I had two brothers, one older brother, one younger brother, and we had extended family we were very close with and connected with. I had two sets of grandparents, the one we had a lot of contact with and the other set lived in a different state. You know, from the outside, life was pretty normal. As I say, we had a lot of contact with extended family. I was part of a culture and a tradition where we celebrated our culture and tradition quite frequently. Um, There was quite a big social life, I think. And as I say, from the outside, our life looked pretty good. We went to family that could afford holidays or stuff like that. But having said that, you know, we, all our needs were met. Again, on the outside, I went to a good school and it was close to my home. I used to walk to and from school. In those days, you could still do it. And as I say, externally, all was good. To be honest, on the inside, and when I remember my experience when I was very, very young, I remember being a kid who by nature was quite introverted. I kept to myself quite a bit. I remember as a young, young child drawing by myself and spending a lot of time by myself in in my room. I did have, in my early years, I guess, some friends and some social connections, but I didn't have a wide social group myself. In terms of the food, my story was, is I actually do believe I had a strong attraction to food from a very, very young age. I was an overweight kid. I was a heavier kid. I um, I was never one of these skinny kids. I Yeah, I was. I was overweight um, to the extent that when I was seven years of age, my parents took me to my first formal weight loss club because I was, as I say, I was overweight. And before that, I remember doing some things around food that my brothers didn't do. And I noticed that friends didn't do either. And examples of those things would be sneaking food, um, hiding food so that I could eat it later, or going into my mother had a little cabinet next to her bed where she would have these throat lozenges and I would go in there and sneak them and, and eat them by myself secretly. Or she would have foods that she would have literally under lock and key that she would use to bake with. And um, I would be so good at finding that hidden key so I could unlock those cupboards and I, and eat that stuff, which I think most people wouldn't eat uncooked. But I remember those behaviors from a young age around food. And there was a big emphasis in my family around food. As I say, we had a lot of contact with extended family and a lot of festivities. So my role certainly at home and part of me being a good girl was around helping in the kitchen and being around food. And you know, I certainly loved the role of being my mom's helper and having a, a role in the family that I perceived as being worthwhile and of value. But I loved being around the food. And I remember very clearly loving washing things up and um, helping with dishes. And partly it's because I could sneakily lick bowls or eat leftovers when I was walking from the table to the sink, you know. 
I just gravitated towards food and excess food from a very, very young age. And I, I don't remember or recall a time in my life when I didn't. It was just always, always there. So I loved being around it. I loved the cooking. I would often be thinking of it. For me, food was a pastime. It was an activity. So did the attraction to food ever stop you doing anything? Yes, I think it did, you know, because I put on weight. I put on weight from a young age and I didn't participate in sports. So I was not an active child and that made me feel, it's not only that I didn't participate in them, I did not know the rules. I didn't have the inclination around sport. I didn't engage in a lot of activities that I think other kids would have, partly because of my weight but I think also because I was pretty much introverted at home with the food and I wasn't socializing that much. So there were certain, I guess, rules of the game that I never learned. So obviously your parents were concerned if they took you to weight loss at such a young age, but what, what sort of concern did they express to you? You know, I don't remember my parents ever overtly saying, maybe once or twice they said, you're overweight. But I guess the concern came out in, there would always be these ideas of, okay, let's change things at home. Let's, there would be discussions around eating healthy. There would be discussions around exercise. And the way that I perceived it is I was very conscious and aware of my mother's weight. We're both pretty short people. I'm five foot one. And I was aware that, mm, gosh, I could have been 10, 11, and I weighed more than my mom. So I was certainly aware of numbers and figures on a scale. And I was certainly aware of the fact that that was an area of concern and that my parents were concerned about it and that it was not something acceptable. It wasn't acceptable to be overweight but I was overweight. So I don't recall overt discussions, but that concern was definitely there and they were concerned about it. So did it impact your friendships at school? Yes, definitely. Because what happened in my adolescence, and I'll share this briefly, is I became then from then, I went on a whole trajectory where I did a lot of dieting and a lot of starving from my early adolescence. So I'd say from about 10, 11 years of age. And I literally went on one diet after another. And what happened with that is it became such a focus that it took me away from having long-term sustainable friendships, definitely. I landed up having this belief that only that if I was at a good weight, a certain weight or a certain figure on the scale, would I then be acceptable and then I'd be popular and then I'd be part of. So I held myself back did have friendships but they didn't last long and partly what would happen when I think I retracted or withdrew from a friendship it would then be okay I'll find the next diet and that that'll help me integrate or be more it'll help me be part of the solution for me was one day when I was going to be thin that's that's what the solution was going to be and I was now in a, a real battle between wanting to be thin and that being the gateway to being able to socialize, be part of, because by now I certainly felt on the outer. I very, very much felt like I was on the outer. Um, so there was that. And then the hard thing was is there was this tug of war experience because on the other hand, there was still this attraction to the food, which would help me numb out and satiate those feelings of loneliness and despair and despondency that started to creep in because of the relentless dieting and the relentless failure around the dieting. Thank you. So, Margot, would you like to talk about growing up and family for you and when, you know, if food became an issue for you as a child? Okay, well, listening to Mary, my life could not be more different. I grew up an only child to two parents that were both only children and sort of removed from, removed from a culture. None of my parents had extended family um, I don't remember growing up with any cousins or aunts or anything like that. They were both atheists, not involved in any kind of religious background. My parents divorced when I was two, so we did not have an intact family. In fact, there really was no family. It was just basically me and my mom after two. And 
my mom, we moved around. I'd say by the time we got to high school, we had moved around about 12 times. So I remember just being really lost as a kid and lonely. And I can sort of break up my childhood into two pieces. There was sort of the before five years old and the after five years old. My father, by the way, was about 250 pounds. So I, um, and, and did have an, uh, an eating problem. So um, the leaf doesn't fall far from the tree. And my mom had later in life a pill and alcohol problem. But at any rate, when I was, when I was younger, I never liked to be by myself. I was always looking for people to play with. And it just turned out that our situation with moving a lot, and often I didn't even live in the school district I went to school, I really wasn't around kids very much. And I remember going to the store and stealing candy to give out to people to try and make friends. Um, so, you know, food was an activity. Similarly, it was, it cut the boredom, you know, uh, at night, instead of eating dinner as a, as a, in quote, family, I would eat in front of the TV. I sucked my thumb until I was about 16. So really insecure, but but before I was five, I, I, was, I felt sort of kind of happy-go-lucky. And about five, I'm not sure what happened. Something happened. We were living in a remote California town. My mother was teaching school. So I was, you know, I was always home alone most of the day. And I don't remember what happened to me, but I remember all of a sudden not wanting to feel, not feeling comfortable around any of my friends feeling really extremely self-conscious about my body and about myself. And I remember thinking that I wanted to grow up, you know, if someone asked me what I wanted to do to, as, you know, when I grew up, I'd say a hobo, I want to be a hobo, just really <laughs> so negative. Um, yeah, that just started this period of feeling extremely self-conscious and not knowing what to do with myself. Um, I, I didn't read, I was just constantly looking for people to do things with and looking for attention from adults. So how did that play out? What, what sort of things did you have to do to achieve that? Well, for example, yeah, like I, like I said, my mom wasn't home that often. She got home later in the afternoon. Oh, as a kid, for example, in second grade, I remember for the first time somebody called me fat. And I'm fairly tall. I'm, I was five seven and three fourths. Now I'm about five seven and a half. Um, and so I think my weight got a little thinner as I bolted up. But in second grade, I was called out being overweight. And I can always remember being kind of pudgy. But in second grade, I wrote on the sidewalk. I had um, my mom used to drop me off at a daycare center in another city from where we lived, where where we lived at that time, there were no kids for me to play with. And I remember writing swear words on the sidewalk in chalk and getting in trouble and um, getting in trouble in my little brownies meeting for talking too much and, and looking for attention and always getting put outside at school for talking too much and causing trouble in the, in the classroom. And then I was fairly independent because when I did go home, I was also very fearful and you know, knew about things that were happening in the world, that people were getting kidnapped and, you know, was constantly afraid of things like that happening to me. So I was afraid to be at home in my room alone at night because every little noise made me think that somebody was at the, at the window. I would come home from school and I wouldn't go in the house because I, I thought maybe somebody might be in there. So I just throw my stuff in the, on the patio and then just start going out and going door to door asking people if they had time to do anything. And I didn't really have any sort of schedule or structure to my day. Um, so that really played out later, you know, in trying to do schoolwork and things like that, which seemed almost impossible. So yeah. what was it like at school then for you? If you're getting into trouble, it must have, it must have been difficult making friends. Um, yeah, I didn't ever have any boyfriends. Um, I was, like I said, extremely self-conscious. You know, I was an okay student. My mom, you know, sometimes she did my homework. So I really just got by with, without having to do a lot of work at school. Yeah, I was really self-conscious of 
like my weight after, you know, after I guess it's maybe sixth or seventh grade, my weight started going up and down a lot. And I would be embarrassed to go to school because I'd have gained five pounds over the weekend. I started throwing up my food at 13 because I didn't want to be overweight and I didn't know, you know, how, how to not eat. I remember my father tried to bribe me with this beautiful dress that was um, in downtown San Francisco that I loved. And he said, if I could lose weight, he would buy me this dress. And it was a hundred dollars at that time. <laughs> and, um, and I, I just knew I couldn't do it. And I was so sad because I knew I just couldn't stop, stop eating all those things that I like to eat. Yeah. So being home alone, it must've been very easy to eat too much. Yes. I would, I would, I'd be going home making concoctions. I'd be putting, you know, all kinds of sugar and flour things together. And um, I remember climbing up and getting the Flintstone vitamins because they were the only sweet, sweet thing in the house besides like literally sugar and flour because my mom kept the house very strict. But when I was at my father's house, he had a full pantry of food and I would go there for the weekends. And if I went there alone, I wouldn't have anything to do. So I would just cook all weekend long. And my father was a, a cook. So um, he would take me out shopping and for the weekend and I would buy all this food and just cook all weekend long and sometimes go home like four or five pounds heavier and just feel miserable. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't sound very satisfactory. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. Uh, our first song today is I've Got You by Split Ends off their True Colours album.
a person with a disability, if you are an Australian citizen, a permanent resident, or a recently accepted refugee or humanitarian entrant under the age of 65, you are able to apply for access to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. If you have met access requirements, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, also known as the NDIS, will help you access the government-funded supports you need. To find out more, visit the NDIS website or go to your nearest NDIS partner office and ask for a language interpreter to help you. NIDA and NDIA are sponsors of this radio station. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday. Put some black and deadly sound. Please share. Community radio 855 on the AM dial. Put some black and deadly sound. Please share. Community radio 855 on the AM dial. Put some black and deadly sound. Please share. Community radio 855 on the AM dial. Put some black and deadly sound. Please share. Community radio 855 on the AM dial. Put some black and deadly sound. Please if you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details of the Living Free show and how to contact us. Alternatively, just call 3CR office on 03 9419 and leave us a message. Uh, today I'm talking with Mary and Margot about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. So Mary, primary school wasn't wasn't so good for you. So did things change when you got into high school? Yeah, to be honest, things got, I think they got a lot more challenging in high school. Um, you know, I think I was so aware of my size, my body weight. Um, for me, if I'd had some feelings of low self-esteem in my primary years, they went to a whole different level in my high school years. And as I say, then I truly, truly did feel on the outside. I did have friends. It really, I felt, I'd, I just felt that high school was an incredibly lonely place. And I engaged in my schoolwork academically until I think for the first two or three years. And then I, I just gave up on myself. I The way that I see it is that, by that stage, it wasn't only, a, well, the food and the dieting had just affected me to such an extent. And I, I stopped working at school. I stopped attending school. Um, yeah, my school attendance was pretty erratic. And in my last two years of school, last two, three years, I did find a, a group of kids, but they were pretty much the naughty kids. And um, I just so wanted to be accepted and part of that I... I would go clubbing with these kids and we started doing some things like drinking and all that kind of stuff. And I know that I did that in order to try fit in. I felt that I had to earn that, you know, if I was going to be part of it, it had to be earned by, but I've no doubt um, the whole thing was fueled by this relentless sense that I had to look and be in a certain way in order to be accepted. And I could not attain that goal. So could you eat normally or did you tend to eat one way in public and a different way in private? Yeah, I think, I think it just really depended. It just depended on what phase I was on. If I was on a diet, I would stick to a diet and that diet, or if I was starving myself, I, I used diet pills as well in my adolescence. So if I was going through one of those phases, I wasn't eating anywhere. Well, I would stick to the T to a diet. I would be absolutely regimented, you know, for a while to the extent that I could hold that together. And I would do that at home or on the outside. But then when I lost it with the diet and couldn't maintain that any longer, then I would be eating and everyone would know that I was not on a diet. I guess the sneaky behaviors that I described beforehand that I would do, I would think out of sight of anyone else. No one would know was not in a diet phase, I would be eating, I'd be eating. I, I don't think I would be able to censor myself to the extent that I wanted to. Um, I remember, I remember pretty clearly, even as a young kid, you know, going for seconds or thirds. And my mom saying to me, you know, you're eating more than your dad. And I kind of did know, but I still went for second and thirds. And then the next week I could be dieting extremely out of embarrassment and shame out of that. So how did it affect your relationships as you were in your teenage years? Well, I think when I think of my family and in retrospect, it definitely affected family relationships. 
there was a lot of tension and a, quite a lot of fighting, certainly in my adolescent years with my mom. It, it just didn't stop. And I look at that and I see that that continual tension and fighting was probably because I was so unhappy within myself. In all honesty, I think my mom did go through patches where she struggled with her own depression and her own mental health as well. She certainly had that. But I think that the way that I was eating and just the erratic nature of it, you know, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, I think that that had an impact on all of my family relationships. And I've no doubt my, it had an impact on my brothers as well. And then certainly at school, you know, um, there were times I engaged with people and there were times I withdrew, depending on what stage or phase I was in. So what happened when you graduated school? Did you go to uni? No. So my big dream was, you know, food was an escape for me, as were the, the alcohol and the clubbing and all that. There was also an escape. And my dream was, and this is, I guess, I really did believe that when I finished school, my dream was to pack a backpack and go travel overseas. And I did that partly because I did believe that if I left my country of origin and if I went to live somewhere else, that all this negativity and this obsession around body image and food would literally disappear. And so I did do that. I packed a backpack and I traveled for a year. And, and as I say, I do remember that has been a great year, but obviously it, it, it followed me wherever I went. And in the following years, I'd, I'd have to say my twenties in general, I, I didn't study. I was very, very fortunate where I discovered 12 step fellowships. I found them in my early twenties and that for me was an absolute turning point. You know, I guess my life wasn't all negativity. It wasn't all that. I did have friendships. I did have experiences. I did a, a short course in, in fashion and retail, which I, I didn't work in for long, but I did do that and I did have work. Um, I didn't study further. I did, the eating was still there. And a friend of mine who knew, we, we, used to, we were eating buddies, she discovered um, a 12-step fellowship for around compulsive overeating. And I was in that fellowship and I discovered that fellowship and I was in it for a long time. And that initially was, it was just, I cannot even describe it. It was such a relief to have found that place. Um, really the doors opened for me in a completely different way. And I'd say that my life changed dramatically for having found that 12-step fellowship. I was able to find people who had had similar experiences around the food uh, they did similar things. They had similar behaviors. It had affected their relationships and their self-esteem in the same way and their connection with the world. And it, it really was, was an incredible relief to have found that. And it really was, it was a game changer. A, a lot of people try multiple fellowships. So what didn't that do for you? Okay, well, I did try multiple fellowships. And I will say that fellowship, I was with it. I was in it for 18 years. And then I was in another fellowship for about 14 years. Unfortunately, my younger brother, who was just, he was the most terrific kid, but he developed an addiction. He, so as a result of his addiction and mine, I did discover another 12-step fellowship. So I was in, I was in actually a few 12-step fellowships at the same time for a long time. And they were all of extreme value and I am incredibly indebted to all of them. Um, I have no doubt. I, I don't know if I'd still be around today if it wasn't for them. And I, I really mean that. Um, I think for me, what happened on a personal level, though, I was still on a quest to try and make myself better or to make myself feel better. There was still the sense of that something was missing in the piece. And for the first few years in that other fellowship, I was able to bring about some kind of semblance of normality around the food. It did last for a few years but it wasn't sustainable. It just wasn't sustainable. And perhaps because there wasn't a clear understanding of what food addiction was or is. And I, th I, just, I think for myself, what happened was my disease, and I do see it as a disease or an addiction, it progressed. It really, really progressed. And I had multiple life changes. I immigrated, I got married, which was, you know, lovely. I'm still married to the same guy. And you know, I had some really good things happen in my world. I had some sad things happen in my world. I struggled with fertility. Um, there were a number of things that I really struggled and grappled with, but there were good things as well. But having said that, 
just feel that my disease progressed. And I was in those fellowships. I continued to attend going to them. However, that sense of futility, that sense of despondency was still, it was still there and it was getting worse as was the eating, as was my weight gain. When I came into Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, where I've been in now for, thank goodness, now it's nearly 11 years, I was at least 30 kilos more than what I am now. And that was whilst I was doing a lot of other fellowships. So something just wasn't sinking in for me despite all the hard work and the connection. Thank you. Margot, back to you. So how did the rest of your teens pan out? Okay, so I think it was my teens definitely that my problems with food got worse and worse. I think that throwing up, which was um, a a friend of my, my stepmother's told me about it at a party, somehow that, you know, started out no big deal. And by the time I was in high school at my senior year, I was going to school two days a week and staying home three days a week and eating and throwing up, eating and throwing up like 12 times a day, just one after another. I knew I had problems with my weight and with food. You know, I was either on a diet trying to lose weight or I was gaining weight. There was no, you know, gaining five pounds a year. That was just not my story. I remember going to restaurants And just feeling like I cannot get out of the restaurant without overeating so much that the next day I feel horrible or laying in bed and holding my stomach and feeling fat and just wishing like I could just wink my eyes and make it all go away. I really continued to struggle in my teens. And and high school was interesting because when I started going to high school, they had a concession stand there, which they didn't have in junior high school or grammar school. And I gained 20 pounds in the first month. I remember I had a a Shakespeare class and the teacher let us eat during lunchtime, which now seems crazy. I put on 20 pounds in a month, um, first month of high school, just eating snacks from the snack bar at lunchtime in that class. And then that started me going to Weight Watchers. And then I started buying illegal drugs at school, you know, diet pills, um, which for the first time, those just made me feel elated. Basically, it's the first time I took one of those pills and I thought, wow, I feel great. I don't even want to eat, you know, but then they, they kind of wore off in the evening. And so that wasn't sustainable. I, I started smoking to not eat. By my junior year, we moved to a different school where there was a drinking culture and I never really liked drinking, but I started drinking at night just so I wouldn't eat. Towards the end of that period, I would just end up two in the morning at the 24-hour store getting like five different sugar flour sweet items and taking them home and falling asleep in front of the TV and having my stepfather yell at me in the middle of the night, calling me, you know, a lazy slug and what's wrong with me. (laughs) Also, uh, my teen years, my stepfather was an alcoholic and he would just usually drink and be pretty out of it after six o'clock at night. So there was a lot going on at home. I was an only child until 16 and then my mother had a second child. So there was a lot going on. Yeah, it must have been very disruptive for you. So what about relationships then? Did you did you form close relationships with people? Well, it seems when I look back, I've always had at least one good friend throughout my childhood. And even that's true in high school as well. I feel like in many ways, food took the place of relationships. So I feel like I've had a lot of arrested development in that area. I don't think I ever learned how to be a really good friend. You know, I had people that I kind of hung out with and all of those friends have have kind of dwindled out by, you know, after high school. Yeah, I think I was sort of in between this world of adults um, that really didn't want much to do with me and kids that I didn't really feel like I fit in. And I continued to not really get involved in any kind of romantic relationships. Again, I was extremely self-conscious and fearful. So I I might use, um, I think I had to use alcohol to even like get into even any kind of relationship in high school because I felt a little bit like 
I better do, I better get, you know, have some kind of experiences. So did things change once you left school? I ended up not going to college because I, again, I, I think that I was just, by the time I had graduated, I was, you know, still using bulimia a lot and kind of confused. I ended up like Mary, I took a trip overseas. I was going to be gone for six months. I ended up staying two years. During that time, I think I wrote back to my mother, please send margarita mix and diet pills because I wanted something to distract me from eating and throwing up. You know, I was living overseas and I was on a quest to find a solution to my problem. I literally felt like a heroin addict or a cocaine addict and my eating was getting worse and not better. And I think part of, partially it was because when I would try and, you know, use bulimia to get rid of my food, it just kept me wanting more and more and more food. So at the end of that two year period after I left high school and was living overseas, I tried um, going to a religious school. I thought maybe it's the fact that my parents had no values. They were both atheists. They didn't teach me anything. I didn't know where I was going, where I came from, but that sort of backfired too. And I ended up back uh, in California and um, I had no prospects for college. I ended up back in my mother's house and I was eating and practiced using bulimia. Um, and three months later, I had gone up to 196 pounds, which was uh, 89 kilos. And I had gained like 60 pounds in three months. And I, you know, I was not sure if I was going to end up in a psych ward. I was scared and I did not know what was causing me to eat. I just felt like I must be the worst gluttonous pig ever. So did something change to, um, to get you out of that situation? Well, this is a miracle. <laughs> something did change. An old friend of mine came to town. She called me. She asked me if I'd move in with her. Um, at the same time, my mom had stuck me in therapy. Um, the therapist put me in a, in a group. Turns out the three women in the group um, were alcoholics, unbeknownst to me. And I remember walking in at almost 200 pounds and saying that I was like an alcoholic and I couldn't stop eating. And they said, well, there's a 12-step program out there for people like you. And I had not heard of it because I'd been out of the country. And they said, it's your assignment to go to that group. And I didn't want to go, but it was my assignment. So I had to go. And um, I went, and again, like Mary, um, it was a life changer. I could not believe that there were a group of people that had the same thing I had and that I wasn't this weird, horrible person that was robbing food from people that were going hungry, you know, that there just wasn't something terribly wrong with me. Um, there were people in that 12-step program that said that they were powerless over food, and I just totally related and all of a sudden, I started feeling part of. I continued to go to those meetings for many, many, many years. And I think I would have to say that if I hadn't been going to those meetings, I know for sure I would never have gotten into college. Um, as it was, it took me several bouts to get to a, a real decent four-year college and um, finally graduate and actually get to graduate school. But I mean, without being a member of a 12-step program for food, that would not have been possible for me. I leaned heavily on the meetings. And, and like Mary, I, you know, at a couple of different times belonged to a couple of different programs. Okay. Well, so we might take another short break there. Our next song is Something So Strong by Crowded House off their very, very best of Crowded House album.
The Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager, or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. your chance to tune in so come on come in live on thursdays 3 p.m 3cr 855 a.m Uh, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Today I'm talking with Mary and Margot and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. So Mary, what was the thing that caused you to be looking for another fellowship like Food Addicts? Okay, so as I said, I was in another fellowship. I think at the time I was also in therapy. One of my things is I believe that if I fixed everything on the outer, I would then feel better inside of myself. And one of those things was I believed, as I said, I barely finished school. And because of me attending other fellowships, I studied and I studied. I only started studying at university in my 30s. And I completed an undergrad and a post, a master's. And when I finished that, And as I said, all the time I was attending these other fellowships and I got a job in our chosen field and I just believed that this would be the magic. I just believed that if I'd attained all these goals that I would just feel better about myself and I had a job and I recall very, very clearly um, the sense of oh my goodness, this hasn't done it. Whatever that it was, not only did I not feel better, I still felt that still sense of emptiness underneath or within myself that just wasn't being filled or fulfilled. And that was by still attending so many other fellowships and um, doing all this hard work psychologically and spiritually. I'd sought a lot. I'd Again, here I was feeling those same feelings and I had a good friend in one of the fellowships that I was attending. I hadn't seen her for a while at meetings and I happened to see her in a social occasion and something about her was different and I couldn't quite pinpoint it. Yes, she looked better physically, absolutely, but there was a piece inside of her that I'd never seen it and it was like 
she'd almost become herself. It's the only way I can describe it. When I'd known in the other fellowship, there was something about her that was always troubling her. It was always, she was just really out of sorts most of the time, as I guess quite a few, well, I certainly was. I just saw this change in her and I approached her and I asked her what she was doing. And she told me that she'd found this fellowship, Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, and she started going and she recommended that I come to a meeting or two. But, and so I followed her in. What was it like then to, you know, having been in 12-step fellowships for a while, to go to another 12-step fellowship that you felt actually matched what your need was? I don't know if I felt immediately that it matched my need. Uh, I did see in those rooms, and I think that for me, I won't say it was an easy transition because I'd spent a long time in those other fellowships. I felt very indebted. I felt moving to an additional fellowship. I don't know, for some reason or another, it wasn't the easiest thing for me to do. But having said that, I think it took a few years. I came into FA, then I went back to my other fellowships, then came and then left. And it was this was the third time in that I've been in and remained. Really come to understand that what I had was an unstoppable addiction. And that's really what it was. And when I eventually came to that understanding, being in this fellowship brought about a lot of relief. And also what happened is every time I left this fellowship to go back into the others, I would slowly but surely pick up the food again. The despondency and the depression would return and that sense of futility. And then when I'd come back into this fellowship, it was, you know, something again was different. There was a sense of hope. People's lives were transforming. There was a clear, clear definition and understanding about what this addiction was and their lives were changing. And I was still experiencing a sense of depression and I went to see a doctor and he recommended I went on antidepressants and I thought to myself, okay, before I do this, if I do go on medication, then I need to commit to it or I can go back to FA and just dedicate myself to it for 90 days, see what happens. And then if I'm not feeling better, I will take the medication. Absolutely. And I just gave it my wholehearted commitment and I've never looked back. So that's really what did it. Because that only started to happen for me once the food was done and in its place. Then I really felt the relief. And then my life, it was like, oh gosh, this is, this is what life is like without being addicted to food, without having that continual mental obsession, without feeling the hangovers. It was just, oh, this is, this is different. So what was different about FA? to the other fellowships that you're in? The approach was that we were really clear about physically. We were clear about we were and weren't eating and we'd commit to it and other people were committing to it. So I think for the first time, we were all on the same page. We're in in other fellowship. You can define your recovery as you see fit for yourself and where you're at. And all my experience was is that everyone was doing something similar in the fact that we were really honest about our food what we were eating about our behaviors around the food. But in addition to that, there's a lot of support. I felt that for myself in this fellowship, there's a real common understanding of how we need to reach out and speak with one another and connect with one another. Because other people's lives are changing as well, they are able to support and mentor me, I guess, for lack of better words, in terms of their own changes and connections that I need to go through as well. So that's also very helpful. So how's your life different now? Oh, wow. I'm married, as I said, I married a lovely guy, but there's a lot of addiction in his family. And I perceive them all as they were the reason why I struggled. (laughs) Today, I don't see them in that light at all, at all, at all. Um, I value every one of them. I am so grateful for all of them for being in my life. My connection with extended family has returned. When I came into fellowship, I was very much estranged from extended family. That family I spoke of in the beginning, I had minimal contact with people. That is not my life today. I, If I'm struggling, I have an unlimited resource of people that I can pick up the phone and connect and contact and speak with and get support and guidance. 
I have so many wonderful connections, you know, I, I cannot believe how that's transformed. And of course, you know, without a doubt, there's the physical recovery and um, being in a right size body is an ongoing source of relief. And I have so much gratitude around that. It's wonderful to be healthy and to feel normal in the world in terms of my size, not feeling ashamed um, you know, being able to go into regular stores and just buy regular clothing and not having to go into the large size stores and feel ashamed or embarrassed. It's wonderful to have that freedom. Okay. That sounds really great. Yeah. Margot, I'll swap back to you. How did life change once you got out into the workforce? Let's see, Bill. I think I continued to struggle forward. As I said, I, I relied a lot on the 12-step meetings I was going to, but I started to sort of come out of my own little closet. I think as a really self-conscious person and fearful person, I started seeing the benefits of um, getting, you know, getting my feelings up and out to different people. I, I went through the 12 steps and, um, you know, uh, was able to talk about things that I had hidden for a long time and things that I had a lot of shame about. And as I started to be more vulnerable about those things with someone other than myself, I started feeling more at ease in the world and, you know, started to take on jobs and just the challenge, regular challenges of life. But I, during that time, I, I was still very attached to the food that I was eating. Um, I was sort of a scientist um, trying to, you know, um, get as much as I could, much bang for the buck as I could during a meal and, and very dependent on the, the things that I was eating for my enjoyment in life. Strangely enough, on and off, it, it was a, it was a mixed bag. Um, I started, you know, I started started swimming in the mornings, which I'd never, ever thought I could do because I'm just come from completely not being disciplined at all. Um, so I started doing different things. I, like I said, I, I went out to the workforce after I graduated college, still really no relationships to, to speak of. I decided I wanted to move to New York City. And um, through just fluke, I ended up getting a very good job in New York City and moved in, I think, 1989. But once I was in New York City, I, you know, I went, I was in and out of about four high powered jobs, continued to struggle on and off with my eating. I think for the most part, I was almost a normal weight. But when I look back at my records, my weight was really up and down and up, up, up and down, down, down. I tried, you know, growth programs um, that you would pay to go into to help you. I tried more 12 step programs, different, in different categories. Yeah, I was just it was sort of lost in some ways, but also doing much better. I was making a living. And during that time that I lived in New York, I lost my job and was out of work for about a year and ended up that whole year going to maybe three meetings a day. I would go to an AA meeting every day. I would go to an other 12-step meetings. And I was staying out of the overeating stuff, but just, just by completely keeping myself busy, going to meetings all the time. But then, you know, after that, I remember going on a trip to Italy and putting on 20 pounds in, in a week. So it was hit or miss still. Um, I had a lot more time with not out there, just constantly eating and gaining weight. But then there were times where I had a slip up. And then I would fall backwards. So how did you find FA? I found FA accidentally when I was, how old was I? 47? I think in many ways I had been asking for a solution to my problem that would kind of take hold. Anyway, I had been working for a startup and the company folded in New York and I ended up coming back to the Bay Area and um, to help my mother who was sick and um, decided to travel I think I took along some Adderall because that was like a drug for ADD. And I thought if I traveling in Asia and I start wanting to overeat, I'll just take some of this Adderall. It'll be like a diet pill. That was when I was like 45. 
So I went off to Asia and I was just wandering around for about a year and a half. I probably would still be out there wandering if my mom hadn't asked me to come home to help her with a knee replacement operation. I think I was in India and I had been going to monasteries to try and fast and all these different ideas I had. But by the time I got back, I was, my weight was up to about 160 pounds. I ate the whole way home on Cathay Pacific airline. I just got off the plane. I felt like a beached whale. I got back here and I was here for about three months. It turned out two days after I got back, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. So I stuck around to help her. And three months in, I was just getting so fed up with myself. I started look for another 12-step meeting. And accidentally, the hospital that my mother was staying in for a month had a meeting. And I asked where the meeting was. And they said, oh, there's a food addicts meeting at such and such time. And I said, sounds good. <laughs> and I, I went to that meeting. There was something about that meeting. First of all, it was filled with a lot of people that were thin and young. And I was surprised. And people sounded lucid, um, hopeful. There had been people that had been in the meeting and in the program for years that had been following the program and been in recovery for a long time. And I just heard something I liked. And I just felt like, hmm, you know, maybe this could work. So what was it about FA that worked for you? I can say there was a stark contrast between what I had been doing before and how FA was organized. First of all, FA, I I knew that I needed to have more neutrality about the food that I was eating. And at the time, the woman that I was working with was suggesting that I don't do all the, the, the funny things that I was doing in my other programs. And in, in FA, it was like, oh, no, 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 we're food is an addiction for us. You know, it was just a real strong contrast. And all of a sudden I couldn't do all the things I wanted to do with the, with my food that I wanted. And it was like someone stabbed me in the heart. I just felt like, but at the same time, the next day I woke up and I felt like no cravings. And it's just, it's kind of been that way, you know, throughout my experience with FA is every step is so painful And I have to let go of a behavior around a food that maybe to an outside person or to my roommate makes no sense, but it's, it's perfect for me because um, I really need to manage what I'm doing around my drug of choice, which is food. And when that is in order, I'm free to live a really great life. As a result of coming into FA, I've just felt this um, new degree of freedom and happiness that I've never felt before. And I feel like, um, you know, I retired about seven years ago and I don't need to keep myself busy all day to not eat. I know that I have a breakfast, I have a lunch, I have a dinner. It's kind of scheduled. I have a very structured life today and it supports my lack of mental obsession. And that just means the world to me. Um, if anybody's out there who'd like to find out more about Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, then you can find them on 1-800-717-446 or you can go online at foodaddicts.org. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Mary and Margot for sharing their Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. I uh, hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about another 12-step recovery program. Uh, thanks for listening and stay tuned now for Alternative. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays.